And it is time for the latest Miami Sports Pod. Will Manso, Clay Ferraro, uh, taking you into the new week, talking Miami Heat basketball. And Clay, for the first time in a while, we're talking the Heat winners of two in a row starting a new week. And, yeah, I know they were against two bad teams. I get it. I'm not going to worry too much about that because, let's be honest, I mean, the Heat have been a bad team. And we're starting to see a little momentum forward. Will it carry over? We'll see. But I guess we'll start with the general overall view of how the Heat overcame the weekend, how they're starting to hopefully play better, and more importantly, get full strength. Waiting on Goran Dragic, Avery Bradley's out a while, but get everybody back to play Heat basketball. Yeah, and, and in addition to them having been a bad team, they've also been losing to bad teams. So, you know, this is, this is progress, the fact they were able to, to beat the Knicks and, and, you know, the, and the Kings. And the other thing, too, is – Hey, the Knicks are uh, Knicks are actually ahead of them in the playoffs, yep. playoff race as we as we talk. You know, we're recording this on Sunday night, so um, you know it's it's not like you know, it's not like it's a terrible team. Washington is obviously, but um, so yeah, I'm seeing some progress. And the other thing, Will, that I think is interesting, and you know, you Eric Spolstra is you know kind of famous for this in that you know, you kind of spend the season figuring out what is your rotation going to be. And then you want to be peaking heading into the playoffs. But a lot of times, as, as frustrating as the regular season losses can be, it, it kind of shows you what doesn't work. And sometimes that's as important as figuring out what does. And w- what I'm starting to notice, and uh, you know, maybe we'll see if this continues once Dragic is back, I, I think we're starting to see definitive evidence that Tyler Hero is a lot more comfortable coming off the bench. And, and even though I don't think he wants to, even though I think he would like to start, he's simply a better player coming off the bench. And I also think Kendrick Nunn looks like a much better player as a starter. He just seems more comfortable in that role. So, you know, I, I think big picture, I think you're starting to see some evidence of what could work moving forward, but, you know, not talking about any potential deals they may make, but maybe they're starting to find a rotation, starting to find some, some pieces that mix and match well, and that could ultimately be really important. Yeah, and I think, you know, that's where I was going was Kanon. I think if we're learning anything about this team, and look, every week we talk, and for the most part we talk a lot of heat on the pod being in season, but every week we talk, it's always, uh, what have we learned, where do we go from here, kind of, what can we take from it? And I'll be honest with you, Clay, I, I think this is – and look, when it comes to Eric Spolstra, who knows? And again, Avery Bradley's out for roughly a month, figure three to four weeks. But when you look at the way this roster is comprised and what they're trying to do, they need offense, right? They need offense. I know the defense has been a struggle, but they need offense consistently. And Jimmy mentioned it this week. When they're playing well on offense, it tends to lead to energy on defense. That's just the way they were last year when they would go on those runs and that rhythm. And not just runs within a game, but runs over the course of games. They played solid offense and were playing well, and it led the defense. I think the lineup with Kendrick Nunn in it, regardless of Goran's health, might be the lineup you go to. Let's not forget last year. Everybody remembers the bubble, the bubble, the bubble. The Heat were a different team. The Heat threw 50 games last year in the regular season, not in the bubble. But one of the best five, six teams in the NBA record was. I think at one point, right. if I'm not mistaken, they were, what, 34 and 16? I may be yeah. off a game or two, but the bottom line is the Heat were one of the best teams in the league. They had a little uh, a patch where they were struggling then in the middle of the season before the bubble. Then, of course, everything came together to the bubble. But what was the constant in that? The constant was Kendrick was in your lineup and one of the more surprising and talented rookies in the league, a volume scorer who at times was scoring 30 points in a game leading you to wins. 
and you had Tyler and Gorn providing a great spark off the bench. I think that they've got something there that they need to continue to build off of it. And look, Gorn's injury is not serious. He may be back early in this week. I'm curious to see if Spo goes right back to Gorn because let's not forget, before Gorn hurt his ankle the other night in that game against Washington, the win, Gorn was starting back in the starting lineup after having Tyler in the starting lineup. So Spo is kind of in a bind now. Okay, you started Tyler, didn't seem to work as well. Then you start Gorn a game, he gets hurt. Then you put in Kendrick, and Kendrick's been averaging 20 a game the last 11. Now all of a sudden, what do you go back to of those three things when Gorn is healthy? To me, Clay, the answer is Kendrick. Yeah, and let's go back to the beginning of the season. Uh, what was clear is they want to manage Goron's minutes, and, and they don't want it to go through the regular season and have him you know, uh, playing. I'm not going to throw a number on it, but the best way to manage someone's minutes is to bring them off the bench because then at the end of the game, you, you should have a little bit in reserve, and Goron's a guy that you want in that closing lineup. You want him on the floor. You want him kind of you know, as, as one of those three pillars of the offense. So you know, if you're going to have him in at the end of games and you want to manage his minutes, there's a reason why they started off the season with him off the bench and, and, and Tyler starting. And it's, it's not just because they view Tyler as such an integral part of this team, although they do, but it's also because they're, they're protecting Goron a bit. It didn't work. And, and you know, I, a part of that, I think, is I think Tyler's still trying to figure out who he, who he is supposed to be yes. with that lineup. And, and he's, I, it just seems like he's not nearly as free as he was last year when he was just able to kind of come off the bench, come in instant offense, be himself, show the swag, like just kind of, kind of be Tyler Hero. It feels like he was kind of just, just thinking a bit too much with that starting unit. Whereas with none, none already has shown that he can play in that unit really, really well. And so it's almost like because Goron got hurt, it was out of necessity that they put Kendrick Nunn back in the starting lineup. But, but I think what you're starting to see is it may ultimately, kind of by happy accident, turn out to be the best thing for this team move, moving forward because not only does it help you get the best out of Nunn, not only does it help you get the best out of Hero, not only does it help you manage Goran Dragic's minutes, but you can also pair Dragic and Hero off the bench as kind of this dynamic backcourt duo that, that no team is going to be able to match with their bench unit. So not only does it make your starting unit a little better, because I, I feel like Kendrick can, can kind of be himself with that unit, but it makes your bench a lot better. So yeah. I, they may have fallen into something here. And I'm like you, it's very small sample size so far, but I'm curious to see once Goran comes back, my gut tells me they're going to stick with none in the starting lineup because of all the other benefits that go along with it. Well, here's the thing with Kendrick. Why did he lose his role last year as the season went on? He wasn't necessarily scoring as well as he was as the year went on. And look, part of that is his rookie season, the length of the season, getting, you know, getting into that rhythm for an entire 82 games is tough for a rookie. That's one of the hard parts of being a rookie, that rookie wall. But there was more to it because even after the bubble, look, he dealt with COVID, got into the bubble, wasn't the same, and he never found his role. But one of the biggest things, though, and I think Heat fans have to understand this when it comes to Kendrick, to play on the Heat, you have to do it all. You have to understand that you can score, yes, but you have to know that defense is a priority and also facilitating. The one thing Kendrick has tried to improve is his facilitating. He just hasn't been a good passer. And not only that, he hasn't looked to pass. I think now you're seeing more and more 
Sure, his assist numbers aren't off the charts. I mean, he's getting three, four assists in the time he's playing, even as a starter. But I think looking to pass, even in rhythm as he's going down the, down the court, even as he drives and kicks out to set up other guys to make better passes, Kendrick isn't just shooting. And I think that's a huge step for him. I'm just going to say it, though, Clay, and let's leave it at this. Kendrick Nunn, to me, should be starting. Goran and Tyler, for the time being, should come off the bench. Let's see how that works. Kendrick yes. seems to be really playing well with Jimmy. And Jimmy and his ability to facilitate and find guys. Jimmy can ball handle. We know that. Kendrick has improved his ball handling. It doesn't matter what lineup you have. With the way the roster is comprised now, look, I think we spent a good portion of our podcast last week talking about the, the issues at four. And whether it's KO or KZ or someone else or Mo Harkless or a trade, there are going to be continuing issues there. That's the same story, Clay, with the guard defense. Whether it be Gorn or Tyler or Kendrick or the guy that Duncan is guarding, even though Duncan has made improvements and credit to him, there are going to be areas in the perimeter and in attacking the lane that other teams will continue to take advantage of until the Heat, A, improve things. And look, Zos, uh, Spo goes to the zone often and trying to figure things out and help out with that. Or B, until they make a move. But I like, for the time being, for that to be the lineup. I'm with you. And, and let's see, as you kind of alluded to, as, as we get over the next couple of weeks, assuming that they do go to that, Let's see how that, that group grows together, not just the starting group, but also the, the bench group, because, you know, it, such a small sample size isn't going to help anybody. But, you know, as we said, Spo is somebody who he treats the regular season as a way to figure out what works best. And then you kind of unleash it full throttle come playoff time, and, and you, you find these little, little uh, tweaks along the way that, that work. To your point about defense, I, I, I don't think that Nunn has gotten enough credit for where he's improved in that area as I well. Agree. Uh, I agree. And, you know, and look, we're, we're talking about, with all due respect, as, as Dookie Lang would make fun of us for saying, um, you know, no disrespect, but we're talking about the best out of a group of, of below average defenders. And that's, that's putting it kindly. And yet, I would say that with that first group, it makes you less susceptible to having the other team targeting your guys. And I felt specifically in that, in that Charlotte game that they lost, especially in the fourth quarter, um, you know, when they were trying to play Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero together, it, it gave me bad flashbacks of the Indiana series last year, where even Tyler admitted after the game that, you know, Malcolm Brogdon and Victor Oladipo were targeting either Duncan or Tyler, whoever was in the game. And if you play both of them at the same time for extended periods, you kind of run into trouble. At least at the end of games, you can do the defense-offense thing. But, you know, I think for, for extended stretches, none is probably your best defender out of those four. You know, you're talking Duncan and, and Hero and Dragic and, and him. So if you've got him out there, then it mitigates a little bit some of the targeting that goes on of trying to find the guy and attack him and, and easy two points when, when you're on the defensive end. And to your other point, he's such a good scorer that once he gets going, then it allows what Jimmy said to happen, which is the, the energy level on, on the defensive side of the floor goes up a bit because you're putting the ball in the basket on the other. So I just, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, clearly, clearly we're not, we're not the geniuses we, we think we are because I don't think any of us like even thought of this, but hey, neither did Spo until Dragic got hurt. Um, but it, it just seems like there, there are a number of things that, uh, that would add up 
if, if you do have none with that starting unit, that the, that the benefits would trickle down and you could just see kind of the, the ceiling for this team rise a bit. Yeah, and I, I think the scoring, I go back to two simple points. The, the, what Jimmy mentioned this week about the offense leading the defense and how much better this team is with their rhythm offensively, it leads to rhythm on defense. It's just a, every team is a little different. Some teams lead defense to offense and fast breaks and things like that. This team seems to work in the opposite where they really, while defense is the staple of the Miami Heat, we get that. That's what they pride themselves on. The way this team and the pace and the space and the threes and the running and the shooting and the things that they like to do, it tends to lead to that same energy and aggression on, on defense. And I think Kanon early in games really sets that tone. Gorn, hopefully healthy this week when he comes off the bench. And again, managing minutes isn't really about starting because you could start a guy and still manage his minutes. So if Spo really wants to go with Dragic, you could still play him only 25, 27 minutes a game. Be very careful with those minutes. And as you mentioned early, I think Hero's ability to come off the bench and provide a spark. And look, I, I think Tyler sees it and, and you hear him say it. In the end, it doesn't really matter if you start. And I know that that sounds cliche and guys have their ego and all that stuff about starting. But you Sunday was a perfect example. In the biggest of moments up four with a minute left, Tyler took the gutsiest shot of the game against the Knicks, and he made it. Made a three that made it a seven-point game, and that pretty much sealed the deal. You're still going to have those opportunities if you're Tyler Hero. It doesn't matter if you're coming off the bench or not. And I think he sees that. And I think something Spo said as well is that, look, you know, they are a team. They need to keep believing in each other and playing with that confidence. And, and I think you're seeing a little bit more of this. I'm not going to make much you know, grand scheme of winning two straight games against the Wizards and the Knicks. But these are steps of consistency that I think Eric Spolstra said this week. You guys are sending a narrative out there, meaning the media and fans. He knows it's out there that this team isn't as good or this team is struggling. But he is seeing a lot of things in the last week or two that show that the results will soon come. So we'll see if those results will soon come starting this week. Uh, whether he, It gets tougher, Clay. Look, there, there's no doubt about it. Uh, this is going to be the most important stretch from now to the All-Star break. This team needs to get in that 500 range. I, this can't be a team that's five, six games under 500 leading in the second half of the season if they're going to get to where they need to get. Yeah, and I, I'm glad you brought up that, that Tyler Hero shot, by the way. And this kind of goes back to what we were saying about him a few minutes ago. The, the thing that really stuck out to me about that shot at the end of the next game, there was 11 on the shot clock. I think 11 or 12 when he rose and shot. And, you know, it's one of those situations where at the end of games, you know, the Knicks are sitting there thinking the Heat are going to bleed the clock as much as possible. But, but Tyler Hero just has this great feel for the game of basketball. And, and he also has such confidence in himself that he knew what was going on. There. He knew that that was probably going to be the best shot they were going to have at getting a clean look. So he just rose and fired and knocked it down. And that's what I'm talking about with him, where when he's able to just go based on feel, there's just such a, a huge lift that he can provide this. I mean, he's, he's just a much different player than he is when he's, when he's having to think a bit. And, and look, he, he just turned 21. Like, and, and he's, he's a 21-year-old who's stepping into a very grown-up locker room and, and a team that just went on a finals run. And he's stepping into a very grown-up starting lineup at the beginning of this season. So you can understand why his mind is tying up his feet a little bit. And, and he's thinking a little bit too much. I just feel like, man, with that, with that bench roll, it, it just suits him. It suits him so much better. The, the pressure to think 
is off a bit and, and he can just play. And, and I just feel like if you put him out there and you just say, look, you're on, you're on the floor with Andre Iguodala, Goran Dragic, and then, then fill in the rest, whether it's Precious, however they decide to, to fill out that, that second unit. Mo Harkless, when he comes back, whether it's Olenek, whatever, he can go out there and, and just be himself. And, and I feel like none does a better job of that with the first unit. To your point about, about you know, they got to get this thing straight. The, the thing that is, is great for them right now is, as we record this on Sunday night, yeah, it's 9-14 and 14 is bad, but you look at the Eastern Conference playoff race, and Indiana's the five seed right now. They're only two and a half games ahead of you, and they're only two games ahead of you on, on the lost side. So it's not going to take a whole lot for this team to get back to the exact same seed that they were last year in the playoffs and, and went on that crazy run to the NBA Finals. And, and the teams that they're going to have to leapfrog, Chicago, Cleveland, yeah. The Knicks, the right. Hornets, like so. This this isn't like this this huge hill to climb. But to your point, they need to get it figured out sooner rather than later. Because well, I don't I don't want this team to have to be in the last month of the season and and not having the luxury of picking spots to rest. Jimmy Butler picking spots to rest. Goran Dragic. Where do you get these guys a game off here and there to where their their legs are fresh and ready to go to the playoff? Because they got to be healthy. So you know, it's it's not just hey, get the best seed, but it's get the best seed that you can, but also give yourself a little wiggle room, wiggle room to make sure that these guys are healthy heading into the the stretch of basketball that's really going to matter. Well, here's two things too. You know, as we talk about the upcoming week and weeks for the Heat now in February and what comes up, remember that the the first half of the season ends on March 4th. So you're talking about less than a month. I mean, less than a month. The first half of the season ends, and when you've got the Knicks on Tuesday at home, then you have got seven games on the road. And Clay, look, Houston is the first of those games starting on Thursday of this week. So you've got a Thursday game at Houston. I know they're not the same Rockets team, but still, it's a tough place to play. Still have, and it's still a challenge to play there. That's the kind of game that you feel you can go win. But after that, you've got at Utah, at the Clippers, at Golden State, where we saw Steph Curry score 57 over the weekend. He's back to being Steph Curry. At Sacramento, a team which they always have close games again. At the Lakers in a finals rematch, a game that's going to air on local 10. And then at OKC, a team that you beat earlier in the season, but again, they're, they're kind of a hot and cold team that's kind of in the middle of the pack, but a team that's going to be tough on the road. That seven-game stretch, then you come home to finish the first half against the likes of Toronto, Utah, an Atlanta team that's been pretty good. You play them twice, and then you end against New Orleans. I mean, that is a tough stretch of basketball for a team that opens the new week five games under 500. That's why the consistency that Eric Spolster says they're getting to you better get to it now. You better win Tuesday against the Knicks and head on the road to some level of Miami Heat basketball. Just stay in that 500 range in those games. Get to the All-Star break healthy and around that 7 or 8 seed in the, in, the, in the East. And now we're talking in that second half to be into that top 5 or 6 in the East where you would expect this Heat team is going to end up. It would just be go, go on the road, win the first game in the playoffs. Like – Finishing five, six, seven, eight, it doesn't just don't get in that playoff in that play in range, right? So don't don't get to the point where you're you're having to play the extra games and, and don't don't give yourself wiggle room, which which I guess is, you know, 
play your best basketball at that point of the season. And, and yeah, it, it, it's a shame they couldn't take advantage of these games against bad teams and, you know, beat Charlotte at home and, and sweep the Wizards and the things that we were hoping they could do. And yet, at the end of the season, if, if they're the sixth seed, we're, I don't think we're going to look back at those games and say, oh, they messed up by not taking advantage of that stretch. You know, it's, let's just hope they get to the point where we're, we're not having to worry about that. Yeah, and I think that's, that's the most important thing right now is to get that level of consistency going again. And, and, and look, the defense is an area that I think a lot of Heat fans worry about. Uh, that's certainly – that's an issue that, again, if you could go back to the offense and defense, I think it will start getting better. I'm not sure if the Heat can be an elite defense again this year, like, you know, you want to say they could be, because unless they make a move and they get some help at that four, maybe more of a defensive helper like you had last year with Jay Crowder. But my goodness, Clay – is there more? Is a more frustrating thing right now to watch in the Heat than watch opposing teams shoot three pointers? Like if they've got. So, I'm, I'm glad you said. I'm glad you said that. It's weird. It's and, and uh, you know, somebody somebody responded on Twitter and, and said that I guess they were discussing this on a podcast and specifically teams like Milwaukee and Miami that are typically good at defending the rim, but you know will kind of let you shoot some three pointers that. For whatever reason, this year, teams are shooting better from three-point range against those teams than they have in the past. And there's really I, – I don't know that there is a there's a viable explanation. Like one that you could – so the hope is, I guess, that maybe it regresses to the mean a little bit. And, you know, but, yeah, it's like every single game. And I didn't feel – and, again, we're, we're coming off this Knicks game. I didn't feel like the Knicks were getting wide-open three-point looks. I felt like most of the shots they were they were taking – we're not shots that Eric Spolster would say, oh, we, 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 we let one slip there. Like somebody was what they were shots that I think the defense would be fine giving up. And it just seems like teams are hitting. And that's, this isn't saying that, that there aren't defensive issues. There certainly are. The energy certainly hasn't been what it needs to be. I think they've alluded to that. And, uh, you know, the thing that they've been saying a bit, which I like, and I forget exactly how they phrase it, but it's uh, multiple efforts defensive plays like when the ball is tipped and and you're going after 50 50 balls like go after it twice those are the things that that I think are starting to come around I don't I I want to see over the next couple of months as we get to the playoffs these three-point stretches where, where teams are just making shots that you kind of tip your cap to one does that kind of stuff start to even out and maybe this team's defense oh, is going to look a bit better as, as the, the season goes on. Yeah, I'm tired of watching those three. I'm tired of watching teams make 15, 17 threes against the Heat and go on these big runs. Like, and, and, you know, it's frustrating, too, because a lot of times when those teams get in rhythm shooting those threes, then it's almost like even when they miss a three, they get a long rebound. It's like everything is bouncing the wrong way for the Heat. And, again, as they start the new week, they're five games under. They're on the outside looking in barely. But as you referenced to earlier, they're like two, two and a half games out of the five seed. I mean, this is, this is not a catastrophe. This is not a team that's falling apart that has no hope. This is a team that with a good stretch and getting back to the fundamentals of what they do best, and it certainly helps by being healthy, is going to be right in the area where they wanted and expected to be. Will this be a top two or three team in the Eastern Conference? Listen, with a start like this through 20-plus games, it's unlikely. I mean, they'll have to go on a heck of a stretch to end up in that range where they win that many games to be a one or two seed. But – as they showed last year, this is a team that when they play well, they're capable of making any kind of run and playing any kind of team. And given that we don't know when fans are going to come back, at least not full packed buildings, home court and all that kind of stuff really doesn't matter right now. 
It's just playing your style of basketball, and let's hope the Heat start to play that as the new week begins. All right, Clay, I want to touch uh, real quick. Look, we spent a lot of time the last couple of weeks talking about the rumors of Deshaun Watson and the Dolphins. And look, I don't want to take up a podcast doing that until something real concrete comes out of it. But there's two things I want to touch on the Dolphins. NFL season is now over with the Super Bowl being played on Sunday. NFL season is over. What's the one thing that you look forward to most for the Dolphins offseason starting now? Get more explosive, period. And I think you can, you can look at the teams, and not just the two teams that played in the Super Bowl, but the four teams that were left among the, you know, in the, on Championship Sunday. It's, it's Buffalo, it's Green Bay, and then, of course, of course Tampa Bay and Kansas City. They, they just they have this ability to, to beat you down the field. And in addition to, hey, you got guys who can run the football, you got guys who can, who can beat you at the line of scrimmage as well. But the thing that the Dolphins are lacking that, that those teams, that, that is most glaring to me, even more so, Will, than the lack of a running back, it's you need that explosive element on offense. You need to be able to, uh, you know, have to uh, take a, a five-step drop and, and just keep it up there. Don't even wait for something to develop. Like, if you see that a safety is cheating one way, you have a guy, whether it's a Jamar Chase or, or uh, I know everybody loves Devontae Smith, you have a guy who can go down the field and make the play on the ball that's going to get you a 70-yard play and scare the daylights out of the defense so they make sure that they don't allow that to happen again. You know, that's what, that's what makes these, these offenses so good. And, and the one that I'll, I'll focus on, and look, there, nobody's going to be Kansas City's offense. Like, nobody's going to have Patrick Mahomes. Nobody's going to have Tyreek Hill. Nobody's going to have Travis Kelsey. But one thing feeds off of the other. It's, hey, because you're so scared of Tyreek Hill beating you deep, you, you can't afford to put all of your attention on Travis Kelsey. Those safeties got to play honest. And that opens it up for, for Clyde Edwards-Alaire if he gets past the first off. And then if you come up too much, you have Tyreek Hill and Nicole Hardeman that are going to beat you deep. And, and so it's just you, the one thing the Dolphins are really lacking is the ability to force the defense to, to defend every blade of grass not just laterally, but also all the way down the field. And with a quarterback like Tua, that look, he doesn't have he doesn't have a cannon for an arm, but it's strong enough to get the ball down the field. More importantly, that opens up the underneath stuff, which is clearly what his bread and butter is going to be as a quarterback. So to me, well, let's get that explosive element and figure out the rest later. Yeah, and I think look, the good news of all this Deshaun Watson talk is that this will end soon enough. You're going to know going into free agency, you're going to have a better idea of what's going on. The Dolphins are going to have to look for weapons of free agency. That's got to be a priority. I know the draft is there with all the assets, but I think last year, having spent the big money on Byron Jones and making the moves they did, I think it's clear that if you're going to take a shot in free agency, it's likely of one of the handful of receivers that's out there. And we'll have more time on the pod in the upcoming month or two, you know, leading up to the draft in April to get real specific on the draft guys and the free agent guys in starting in March that you could go out and get. But I think once this whole, whether they're really in the Watson chase, which I think you and I both agree, they're probably in the chase in the sense of like, hey, you make the call and you just see what's out there and if he's available and what it will take. But the realistic thing is the Dolphins are in a position where they've got two or they've got all these picks. They need to surround them with those playmakers. And I think it starts with free agency on whether you go after an Allen Robinson, whether they identify it's a Will Fuller, whether it's a, a Kenny Galloway, whoever you, Galladay, whoever you think is a guy that you think fits that mold of player, whether it is drafting a Devontae Smith or Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddell, 
you have to figure that out. And I think that's the key from now to the draft of the way you want to go. Because you know this, Clay, as someone who follows the draft and free agency so much every year, a lot of times free agency will kind of dictate the direction you're going to go in the draft. If the Dolphins spend heavy on receiver and they go out and they pay big money for receiver and start really you know, allocating assets in that sense, then it's more likely they don't spend that third pick on a receiver. Or maybe they try to trade for multiple picks to go ahead and fix things in other areas that they need, whether it be on defense, the offensive line, whatever it may be. So I think that's what I look forward to. But I think you and I are both on the same page. And I think Dolphins fans know this as well. They need to get weapons for Tua. And however that comes, that's going to start in March in free agency. And if, if you're going to go and you're going to try to get Deshaun Watson, then you know what? That's a whole other offseason conversation we're going to have yeah. in, in about a yeah. month. Yeah, so so I, I read this really uh, along those lines and really quickly as we wrap this up, I, I read something that was interesting and made me kind of rethink how they might attack this. And, and I think you're right as far as, you know, we'll, we'll have a pretty good tell based on what they do in free agency because there are going to be a lot of receivers available. Uh, the study, and this was uh, done by a Patriots writer because they have a top 15 pick. Top 15 picks do increasingly better early in their careers based on how close they are to the line of scrimmage. And, you know, so, so as, as crazy as it sounds, it's kind of the opposite of, of recruits in college football, where it's, it's harder because guys are bigger and, and stronger as, as you get from, from high school to college. In the NFL, the guys who played better early are the linemen, they're running backs. And so and wide receivers who've been taken really high have, have had some issues. And, you know, they, they, they pointed to, uh, you know, Tavon Austin and, and some players who, who maybe haven't quite lived up to expectations at that position. And there are certainly exceptions. But, you know, so, so it almost said to me, if you want to be good right now, if you want to guarantee the, the best immediate future for this team, maybe it does make more sense to go lineman early and then maybe with your second and first round pick, you know, take Najee Harris, and, and maybe you, you get your receivers elsewhere. So we got a lot of time to, to think about this and to talk about it. But, you know, I, I, I agree with your point, and, and I think we'll probably know more about the, what the draft is going to look like based on what the free agency chase looks like. And they could trade for Deshaun Watson and blow it all up. And, and then we're, we're That's right. Completely different. <laughs> and, it, and we just wasted a whole bunch of time. Well, you know what? It's never a waste when we chat to Dolphins football as the offseason begins. And one last note. Uh, Zach Thomas should be in the Hall of Fame. Didn't happen this week. My goodness, it's going to happen at some point. Zach is a Hall of Famer. I hope it's next year. But Dolphins, understand, he will get that call one day from Canton. He deserves to be there. He is a Hall of Famer. With that, we end the podcast. New week for the Miami Heat. All season begins for the Miami Dolphins. Finally, the Florida Panthers. They finally had a regulation loss, but they're still playing some good hockey. So a lot to look forward to, including spring training coming up as well. Baseball seems to have figured out whatever the heck it's going to do. The Marlins are around the corner. That is your Miami Sports Podcast.